Amen. Thank the Lord. We can certainly say that tonight, can't we? Greet you tonight in the name of the Lord and a wonderful privilege for us to be gathered together again in God's house. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. <clears throat> How many believes in prophecy? Amen. Prophecy has always been from the Garden of Eden. One of the attributes of our Father. As a matter of fact, He was the first one to prophesy. Gave His word and His promise of the promised seed that would come and bruise the serpent's head. So prophecy is something that believers, real Bible believers, hold to. It's not something that we have to try to make happen or even sometimes that we fully understand it until it's right before us and then there it is. And you think, oh my goodness. So, you know, the prophet said that God fulfills his word by bringing it to pass. So let's read tonight of some of these prophecies of the end time. This know also that in the last days, perilous times, shall come. We can say amen to that, can we not? Amen. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. My goodness, what kind of people are these? Well, I'll tell you what kind they are. Most of them are religious, church-going people. Now, if you think this is describing infidels, they're even worse than this. This prophecy is pertaining to apostasy, not agnostics. It's not those on the extreme left of the political spectrum that do not believe in God. I got your attention now, don't I? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Ah, now you believe me. Yes, Having a form of godliness. And the word godliness in the Greek means to be like God. So all of the above people. Now with this one included, 19 adjectives, compound and singular, that Paul uses to describe the people in the last day. And all of these people right here are apostates. Now can you imagine then what the rest of the world, which are agnostics, infidels, Islam, and on and on and on, Hindu, and all the rest of the people that don't even follow in the line of Christianity. This is only the apostate group. Wow. Notice this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the dunamis the dynamite, the power 
thereof. So you can profess godliness and hold and maintain to, I am a Christian, I believe this, I believe the Bible, I believe Jesus died for my sins, I believe if I accept him as my Savior, I won't be lost, but you deny any power of his grace to change your life to keep you from sinning every day. From such, not turn to, not run toward, but from such, such what? Religion with no power. Brother Bram said it over and over again. God hates a powerless religion. That ain't just Baptist Methodist. That's message if we turn into it. That includes us just as well as everybody else. God hates a powerless religion. My, don't you love the word tonight? How many like to be remembered in prayer? God bless you. Let's uh, bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful tonight for your precious word. As we read it, it stirs our hearts, Lord. It, it does so many things for us, depending on what portion of the word that we're reading and looking at. These portions that we've read tonight, Lord, I believe for many of these people that are standing here, it is not a description of who they are from their soul. Their Isaac, if they've been born again and they have that Isaac, that promised seed in their soul, they cannot be apostate and be that. But yet because in time we're still held in these prisons, our bodies can certainly get under these old anointings of the last day. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to realize that these things are written for our admonition. They're written so that we would not be caught up in the spirit of the last days. Everybody on the earth is going to be under the spirit of the last days. But we want to be under the spirit of God. We want to be under a, a rapturing spirit. Not hatred, variance, and strife, and emulation, and all these things that we've read about. We pray that you'd be mindful, Lord, of the sick, those that are suffering. Lord God, move among us tonight. We pray with your great presence. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. I know in some ways when we read things like this. It doesn't make us feel very good. There's this negative side of prophecy that uh, we look at and we think, well, you know, that's not me, and I hope and pray that there's not a person here tonight under the sound of my voice or any that's streaming this service that would fit into this category that Paul uh, so fluently described. I hope that there's none of us here that will wind up in this category. But I'm sure that all of us could say that in our life that we have in times past been under this influence because it is the spirit of the last days. It's part of the portion of prophecy that is given to Laodicea. Somebody's going to fulfill it. But if I have a choice, that ain't part of the word I'm going to fulfill. I'm going to fulfill the other part. But nevertheless, I don't want to look at it with some mindset, oh, that's not me. I don't have anything to worry about. But as a mortal in time, I have to watch 
the spirit of the last day. I have to watch because my flesh, as we're looking at on Sunday morning, my flesh is not saved and yours isn't either. And it is not yet fully redeemed. So I have to watch this O Ishmael because he still wants to try to convince me that he's the promised son. And he wants to convince me that I need to listen to him just like yours does. But yet when I'm in perfect harmony with the seed life that's in my soul and I'm in fellowship with my father, he constantly is suppressing this Ishmael and sending him out from the presence of the promised son, which is Isaac. But my Ishmael, needless to say, does not like that. Every day that he's out of the presence of Abraham, it is a day of humiliation and a day of embarrassment. Now listen, as the prophet said this in 1953 in West Palm Beach, Florida, the world's got to get like this. God would be unjust to pour his wrath out upon a just people, which shows us that the bride will only be allowed to remain on the earth up to a certain time before it reaches the climax. When God's wrath will reach to a certain level, the bride must be raptured out or the justice of God would have crossed his own barrier of grace. And God will only let the bride stay on the earth when the tribulation, before the tribulation ever sets in, and even before the wrath of God and the anger of Satan reaches a certain climax. It would be unjust of God to leave his sweetheart here on the earth one day past when the wrath of God is being poured out. Notice this, they've ignored him. Now these are the people that have turned him away. They have ignored him and walked away and Satan's captured them. Now whether we tonight are Americans or Canadians or Africans or Indonesians or Indians or whatever more that we would be, we cannot look around and see our fellow Americans or the people in Africa, their fellow Amer- Africans or the people in the continent of India or Asia, wherever more that they would be. They could not look at their fellow brethren of their nation and see the people who have done this, turn down the mercy of God and see them walk into the captivity of Satan and their soul be sealed away and their actual souls that are in prison now. If they truly have the spirit of God, you cannot see people who are in that state and not feel so sad for them in your heart. Because there's something within us that grieves us for our fellow Americans. Here we are, Veterans Day. And I'd like to say to all the veterans in our church and all of those that will stream the service, thank you for giving the years of your service that you would be able to risk your life so that we would be able to have this right tonight to meet. Do we not thank them? For many of them, they got wounded, maybe not physically, but psychologically and whatever more. And I appreciate each one of you that gave that service for us. I'm sure it must break your heart as you see what you, the price that you pay and see what our nation is leading into. But from one American to another, I thank you and I salute you tonight on the grounds of one of those who's enjoying the benefits of what you did. Do we not, saints, as the children of God?
just as we salute our spiritual forefathers who paved the way for us. Now, we how we thank God for men like Brother Branham, but then we look back at Brother Branham would say, he could not have brought what he brought had it not been for the people who run a precedent before him. And we thank God for those people who, the early Pentecostal fathers that paved the way, that even forerun Brother Branham. They did not see, of course, what Brother Branham saw. And even maybe for those who, who was in the earlier days of the message, and they, you know, many, maybe some of your fathers and your grandparents, and we could preach tonight the message of the hour, and they would sit here maybe 50 years ago, and they'd say, what are they even talking about? I, I never heard that when I was in the message. Well, in their day, they was talking about God sending a prophet. And you know, the prophet said this and the prophet said that. Boy, thank God, God sent a prophet. And that's where they rallied around for years and years. But what did they do? If it had not been for them, we would not be where we are tonight. So they foreran us. Thank God they did. Is that right? If there is another generation, we are forerunning them. I personally can't believe and see that there would be. But each one foreruns the other. And when we see that, we cannot see our nation, our brothers, our people, and see them how they're so caught up in the rottenness of Laodicea and hurt our hearts as the prophets before us did. Notice this in question answer in 1954. We've got to get in the spirit of the last days when the last days are here. You go to a dance hall and you've got to get in the spirit of dancing or they won't dance. You go to the church and you've got to get in the spirit of worship. How many knows there's a spirit of worship? And you and I will try and try and try and sometimes the Lord will let us try and put forth our, our effort and then he'll send the spirit of worship. But you know if you worship very God, God very long at all, there is a difference in you doing it and him doing it through you. Now what happens is you can actually get under the spirit of worship and then he just takes all of your effort and he makes it so much easier. But until he does, we're gonna do it whether we feel it or not, right? Because that's what we're called to do. So it'd be the same way with people who get out on the dance floor. I've never got out on the dance floor in my life. Only dancing I've ever done has been for the Lord. So I don't know how it is to go to a honky-tonk or a bar room or nothing like that because I've never done it before. But I'm Imagine that there's people out there and they, well, I ain't no dancing mood. Well, they would call it a dancing mood. But actually, it's in the spirit of dancing. But there'll be somebody out there and boy, they'll jump up out on the floor. As I said, I've never been in one of those places, so I really don't know what it's like. But they may get out there and they, they bring that spirit. Then there'll be somebody else and they'll get out there and they'll go to dancing. And then the spirit is getting stronger and stronger. Well, don't you understand? It's the same way in worship. And what if 90% of you come in here and you're dead as a hammer? You said you're on Wednesday night and you're tired and you're wore out. You don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like worshiping. You're aggravated and you're mad as an old hornet. But you know what? There might be one person that again, you'll say, praise God, I come to have church. I drove all the way from the mountains of Virginia. I put forth the effort so while I'm here, I think I'll just worship God. And maybe that one person will go to worshiping God and crying a little bit and crying out, well, glory to God. And that spirit to get on somebody else, then somebody else, and then somebody else. Before you know it, it's turned that whole service around because somebody got under the spirit of worship. 
Well, it's the same way with the last days. Now, we've talked about the last days for many, many years. And there's a sequence of the last days that have actually been in the session since the Lord Jesus spoke his words of Matthew 24. Now, when Paul writes this here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this was actually written around 66 AD. So already the last days had begun. So the last days are the two last thousand year increments of time that'll be lived out on the earth before the millennium. So the last days began then. But yet what, what we know about prophecy is that God can allow prophets to utter certain words from God. And part of them will go say to this dispensation. And then part of them will be fulfilled over here. Part of them over here. And the sequence of that fulfillment will keep unfolding till every word has come to pass. So there was words of this no doubt that Paul began to see. Jude of course wrote and said I thought it to write to this unto you that you'd earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. 30 years after Pentecost and they were already getting cold. They were feeling indifferent toward God, toward the church. They were substituting a new birth for shaking their hands and so on and so on. So already the conditions of the last days had moved into the church. But not in the phase and not in the repetition and the multiplicity of how much it would be like it is in our day. So we live in the day when not only are these every one of these descriptive terms of these 19 terms that Paul used to describe the last day, but it is so much greater than it ever was when Paul is here. Do you believe that? Well, you have to because it's greater than it was three or four years ago. How many believe we were in the last days three years ago? How many believe we were in the last days in 2019? But has 2020 felt more like the last day year than 2019 or 2018 or 2017? If there is a 2021, may God have mercy on us is all I know. If it's gonna be any worse in 2020, come and get us Lord Jesus. That's right, because you know as well as I know, this year is a turning point, and it's not just us that knows this. I spoke one year just yesterday to a, a man that's doing some work for us over here in our, our building, and this man was so tore to pieces, tore all to pieces about the election and tore up about, he said, you can just feel it, you can just feel it. Was, What's wrong, what's wrong, preacher? He said, things are just so all tore up. I said, well, I, I agree with you, they are, but I said, the Lord has got these things under control and we've got to believe in him. I, I know that, I know that but I've never seen, I'm so tore up, I've never been tore up by an election and tore up by this. I just had to stand right there in my heart and say thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus that we've got a place. I'm not saying that things don't bother us. I'm not saying, saying that things don't trouble us but I'm saying is our God is bigger than politics. Our God is bigger than the Democrat party or the Republican party. He's bigger than a voting machine He's bigger than the Senate. He's bigger than the Congress. Well, come on, church. He's bigger than who? He's bigger than the World Health Organization and every other. He's bigger than COVID. He's bigger than influenza. Our God is God. And there ain't nothing going to destroy the counsel of God. He will bring his word to pass. So while they're getting the spirit of hatred and murder, we ought to be getting in the spirit of the rapture. 
Amen. Notice this. He says, we're in the spirit of the last days and God's promise that these things would be here and that's what we've got. We're in the last days. And men and women are sitting asleep and don't realize it. Now, let's look at this prophecy and we'll take this verse by verse and word by word and let's break it down a little bit. Now, as I said, this is a prophetic insight, not so much just of total anti-God move. Now, remember that even as much as the left in America wants to actually take America away from her Judeo-Christian background, and as much as if we listen to a bunch of these socialists in the White House and in the Congress and so on, they would want to take America away, and many of them want you to believe that America will eventually get away from her religious right. Don't you never believe it. Don't you never believe that. That is nothing but a scarecrow from the devil. God symbolized her in the book of Revelation under them two horns. She will maintain her religious identity, not truths. I'm not talking about truths. I'm talking about her religious identity right up to the very last phase of her helping Israel. And then if she turns on Israel, she will be destroyed. But for them to want to project, sure, that's what they want to do. But as the demons in World War II wanted to destroy the earth and God sent an angel down. And World War II, they still to this day don't know exactly how it all come about. Well, I could let them in on something if the White House would like to know. If they want to know, all they got to do is call me and I'll tell them exactly what it was. Our father had a greater plan. Most of us, well, a lot of us hadn't even been born yet and we certainly hadn't been born again. And them demons were so at one another, the demons of America versus the demons of Japan versus the demons of Germany and the demons of the UK and them demons got in such an uproar like had never been before and God looked from heaven and said they're about to destroy the whole thing and God dispatched a mighty angel down and he went down and said let there be peace I want you to sound the armistice it's time to bring world war two to an end you imagine them devils were so mad and they were so angry and they went to report back to hell and Satan said I want to know which one of you stopped that war well it wasn't me the demon of Germany said and the demon of America said it wasn't me and they said well we thought it must have been you he said it wasn't me I wanted all them people to kill one another so I could take them all to hell well if it wasn't you and it wasn't you who was it they might have heard a voice from heaven say it was me it was me oh hallelujah the same God that stopped that war is the very same God when all hell comes against you as an individual or against us as a church or against the bride around the world and all the demons say we've got her we've got her now we're gonna get her oh no our God still has the power over war he still has the power over disease and sickness and trouble hallelujah and if he wants to stop it he can say stop stop and guess what it'll do stop And them demons will report down to hell again. Who was it to stop that attack against Donnie? I've been working on this for years. And we, well, we thought you did. Well, I didn't do it. Well, was it you, depression devil? What, me? 
Was it you quitting, devil? He's just going to quit? Wasn't me? Who was it? That voice come back from heaven. It was me. It was me. He's my boy. He's my boy. And I thought today was the day it's going to change. And I stopped it. <laughs> Watch this. Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So this is identified as one of the most prophetic things in the New Testament concerning apostasy. Peter writes about it, Jude writes about it, but not quite as eloquent in the way that Paul does. Notice this in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. 2 Thessalonians was written around 54 AD. So here, written before, of course, Timothy here, and Paul had already begun to deal with some of these things. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, that day, a prophetic time, shall not come. So this phase of prophecy had not already moved in the full cycle. They were seeing deception. They were seeing all kinds of things. But that day, that day had not arrived. It has now. For that day, oh my, shall not come. It's not here, but it shall come. Except there come a falling Away. Now look at this word falling, what the Greek word is apostasia, and this is where we get the English word apostasy. And it means to forsake a falling away, a defection or an apostasy. So it is not infidels, it is not agnostics, it is not people that are Islamic, it is not people that are Hindu or any of the other heathen worship that we know about in the world today, but it is actually people who have known an element of truth, but they have apostatized. Now, they have walked away. Apostasy is not a genuine, sincere person believing wrong. Now, listen to me and so you don't misunderstand what I'm fixing to say. No doubt every one of us sitting here tonight believes things right now that are incorrect. Now, you see the difference between an apostate and a genuine, sincere person that's believing wrong out of hearsay or out of ignorance is that whenever a genuine, sincere person sees that they are wrong and they're proved wrong by the word, you know what they do? They change their thinking about it. They change their belief. So if they, if they was taught there were three gods and you show them by the word that there's only one, they change their belief, but not an apostate person. An apostate person will actually hold on to what they believe even after you prove them wrong. Why? Because their pride, whatever more, will not allow them to be corrected. They will not bow to the God of truth because of humiliation, embarrassment, whatever the reason is. So a person who's believing something wrong, and maybe we're sitting here tonight, and you believe this about election, and you believe that about so-and-so, and this weekend, you'll hear me read a quote, and it'll totally spin your whole world around. And you'll say, oh my goodness, I, I, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I believe that wrong. I am so sorry, Lord Jesus. Brother Don, does that mean I'm apostate? Nope. 
It means that you're a real genuine believer, but you believed it wrong because of tradition or because you was told somebody said so-and-so about so-and-so or somebody said Brother Ram told them so-and-so about this and that and the other. And once you actually see it in the Word, then you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent of that. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Any of y'all still have to do that? Oh my goodness, well the rest of you holy angels, I realize why y'all are still here, it's me and the rest of these people that raised our hands. I'll find out something just about weekly. Well, come on, I do. You say, Brother Donnie, as old as you are, yeah, as old as I am, and I hope as long as I'm in my right mind, I can still be taught. Because I found out that's one sign you got the Holy Ghost, you got a teachable spirit. So no doubt we will go on this week and next week and the week thereafter that we will find things about the word and we'll say, you know what? I didn't realize it, but I I, I believe that wrong. I've held on to that, but this is not the falling away. But a falling away then is people who have been told the truth, but they refuse to measure up to that truth and they fall away from what they have heard and they begin to alter and they begin to reach a state of compromise. Now, no Notice Paul said, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, first, and that man of sin be revealed. So a falling away is an act of professed Christians who deliberately reject revealed truths. So you show them in the Bible, nobody in the Bible was ever baptized in titles. And you show them scriptures about one God and you show them Malachi 4 and so on and so on and so on. You see, God is the only one that knows when we are witnessing to people whether or not they actually see that. Now Jesus told the people when he was here, if you would blind, if you were blind, if ye were blind, you would have no sin. But because you say we see, Therefore, your sin remains. So it shows you and I that many of those scribes, Pharisees, the seen, Sadducees, they actually saw who he was, but they would not bow to it. We know there's no man can do these things you do unless God be with him. Is that right? So apostasy differs from error. Now listen. Apostasy is not the same thing as error. Error, as I said, can become because of traditional things or you've just not been taught or even hearsay and you base it on ignorance or hearsay. But apostasy is something that is totally different. So now, it's not that the people of God are free from error holding on to something that is wrong. Brother Brandon, believe many things. You do a study sometime and you get time if you want to take a lot of time and type in what he said, I used to believe. Type it in quotation marks so you get all the quotes, I used to believe that, uh, you know, this, that Mary produced the egg, and I used to believe that, and I used to believe that, and I had election wrong until an angel of God stood and corrected me. So, you know what I hear when I hear those things? I hear a man that is able to acknowledge that he was believing things with all of his heart, sincerity, but he was not an apostate. You see, this is what those who have left the message are trying to make Brother Branham. They're trying to make him a false prophet. They're trying to make him a liar. They're trying to make him apostate. Don't you understand who that is? That's the devil out of hell getting on them people to try to get you to doubt the message of your homeland. 
You see, this is who you are. This is where you belong. It's the very same thing they done to the children of Israel. When the spies were sent out and they went out and they come back and well, you know, here's all these grapes, but my goodness, we found all this and that and the other. Here was the Amorites and the Hittites and we saw the sons of Anak there and we were in their side as well as our own side as grasshoppers and how in the world can we ever go out there? What are they doing? Using these people that were a part of that move and trying to plant doubt and questions and all that in the minds of the people in the message. But who were these people? Message followers at the time. So then they started getting websites, as we'd say today, and they started writing books, and they started interviewing this person and that person and another person. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I wish some of them would be able to interview God. That's the one I'm looking for to come up on YouTube of those who have left the message. I'm not just interested in this man and that man and that man and that man, and many of them don't even know their own middle name. They're so old. Well, I don't remember. Well, I don't remember. I don't remember. I'd like to see you all interview God, and I'd like for you to ask God, God, why did you vindicate this man around the world? If this man was a liar and a deceiver and a false prophet, God, why did you give this man a ministry that surpassed anyone that had ever been on the earth? Well, praise the Lord. In so much that it was the Lord Jesus using his body. Well, come on, saints. That's who you ought to interview. You got all kinds of questions. Don't come and ask me. I'm just a little peon. I'm nobody. I know nothing. Go to God's door and tell him you want an interview and you want some answers. And you want some straight answers. If this man was not a prophet of God, then why did not God kill him when he made the challenge? If I'm not a servant of God, may God strike me dead on this platform. Why would God leave a liar and a deceiver and a hypocrite on the earth deceiving and leading away his innocent children to follow this so-called false prophet to hell. Come on, somebody. Amen. But you know what God would say if I could interview God tonight? God would say, Donnie, I done spoke. I done spoke. I spoke the supernatural. It was me calling their names. It was me giving their address. It was me telling them, I see your doctor, he's a heavy set man. He's got on glasses. He told you day before yesterday, they're sister so-and-so, they're so-and-so, they're so-and-so. That was me, Donnie, and I just smile real big like a possum eating sour grapes and say, Lord, I knew that all the time. Thank you, Jesus. I knew that already. I just wanted to make sure, Lord, this is why all of their questions don't move me. You see, when people have all kinds of questions, I like to look at the heart that has the question because a lot of times questions are not from a sincere heart. I'm reminded of a preacher one day that sat there and watched as a woman come in and poured out precious ointment on the feet of my Lord. And he sat there and the Bible said that he had a question. Well, come on, somebody. And he began to ask this question. How come this was not sold for so much money? and given to the poor, you sorry, rotten hypocrite, you. He wasn't concerned about the poor, but the Bible said he was a thief. 
So what do we have? We have a question, not coming from the heart of a sincere person. I don't know why I'm going this way, but I'm going this way. But we have a question coming from the heart of a thief. He was not interested in truth. He was interested in what he can get out of. And I can tell you, friends, that for some of these that say, oh, bless God, none of these message preachers will tangle with me. They're ball-faced liars. I've sent many of them all kinds of things in the scripture that looks like mistakes and error. You know what? They can't answer you. They have to hang their face and say, well, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh-huh, thank you, you two-faced, ball-faced liar. You hypocrite, hell-bound, gonna burn up in the lake of fire. Come on, somebody. But why? Because God vindicated this word. And where is there gonna be a great falling away? Right around the message of the hour. Right around the very last light of the Gentiles. Poor Brother Donnie. Don't poor old Brother Donnie me. This is going to change poor old Brother Donnie. (laughs) This is going to get us out of here, Brother Wes. Watch this. The apostate is perfectly described in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure. Wow. What a word to use for sound doctrine. So sometimes you have to endure it. Sometimes it whoops you up one side and whoops you down the other. Stomps on your toes, it crumples up your knees. Man, it runs in one ear and out the other. It shears you like a sheep on the top, palm down. When you get done, you feel like there ain't nothing left of you, but there's something down inside of you. You wanna come back the next time the church doors is open. Why? Because you've got the ability to endure sound doctrine. I don't wanna just talk about sound doctrine. I wanna have something in me that can endure. If the Lord cuts me to pieces, he cuts me up one side and down the other, I wanna try my best to wobble in church the next time and sit down on the pew and say, hallelujah, glory to God. I may sit there like an old ragged scarecrow. I might raise my hand and one arm fall off and raise the oven and my hand fall off. But I'm gonna do my best to let hell know whose side I'm on. I want heaven to know whose side I'm on. Because according to the Bible, there is a book of remembrance that's been written down in heaven. Hallelujah. I want the Lord God to know I am identified soul, spirit, and body with the message of Malachi 4. I ain't got no intention on going back. I ain't got no desire to go back. My boats are burned. My bridges are destroyed. Whoa, hallelujah. I don't want to go back. I'm the only thing. My future lays before me because my past has been erased. Now this is 66 AD. So by now already, Folks are getting tired of sound doctrine. But don't you notice how Paul frames this in the prophetic future? For the time will come. So Paul knows the scope of this prophetic word was not for his day. It had not yet arrived, the fullness of this prophecy. For the time will come when they, they, 
I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad I ain't in this they group. You know, you hear people say, oh, well, well, they said, they said. I'll tell you one thing, a lot of these they's are going to hell. And this they right here, they in a, they in a mess of trouble. They, that ain't me. What about you? What about you? I ain't gonna sing whenever I quote this scripture, I ain't gonna say, I'm one of them, I'm one of them. That ain't me. Well, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. Isn't it amazing? They don't want just one. So they got them on YouTube, they got books by them, they got them on television. So they, they're just, you know, all these pictures, all they are, they're just another one on the heap. It's a good place to get them burned. You pile them all together in a big pile. And the seventh vision will take care of them when this nation will be destroyed. Oh, God, help us. Notice this. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In reality, the spiritual fables they turn to are worse than Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They're worse than Disneyland characters. Snow White wouldn't take you to hell. But turning to these spiritual fables Three gods. What is that? A fable out of hell. Well, Disney never come up with that. Demons out of hell, loosed out of the mouth of the false prophet. Oh my. And shall be turned unto fables. You see, apostates depart from the faith, but not actually from the outward profession of Christianity. As we read the scripture here in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So apostates will depart from the faith itself, but not the form of religion. Hey, you believe in hell? I sure do. You believe God so loved the world and gave you some of God's Absolutely, my favorite scripture in the Bible. You believe in Moses? Well, I sure do. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, absolutely. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, absolutely. I can quote you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now what about Malachi 4? Uh-oh. You're one of them Branhamites. No, I'm not. I am a child of God. I'm a Christian filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not known by the name of Paul or Peter or James or William Branham or even Donnie Reagan. We're not Reaganites here, we're Christians. Oh my. Well, Luke 17, 30, Revelation 10, one to seven, all that, uh-oh, uh-oh. You see, apostate teachers, as we looked at it here again in 2 Timothy 4, three and four. So they will turn away, but watch now, let's skip down here. And, and look at Jude, 
Just one chapter, of course, in verse four. For there are certain men. Notice how they got in. They crept. Two-legged serpents. In the original serpent form. Upon two legs instead of licking dust. They crept in. But how do you think they crept in? Well, in our ranks, they crept in carrying a book. Or they crept in going into the library and getting some tapes. Or they crept in up here and said, brothers, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. I wonder how many slippery snakes we've dumped down in that water. What'd they do? They crept in in the form of religion. Well, thank you, Jesus. For there are certain men crept in unawares. You're talking about a contrast. Unawares to men. Notice how he says this. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Unawares to men does not mean they're unawares to God. Ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. In other words, making the grace and the mercy of God a covering for crimes and sins and intimidating, persuading, and convincing men that they can sin because God understands. And that's what the blood is for. You sin and then God forgives you and then you sin again and God forgives you. That's what the blood is for. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Turning grace into disgrace. Friends, if that don't describe most of the modern day TV preachers, well, come on now, say amen. Oh, oh but you see, it, it projects to them the idea that they can sin safely. They can do wrong safely, that they have no fear in the sense if you do wrong, you'll get punished. No, 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 no. These guys turn the grace of God into wantonness and lasciviousness and lust and they convince them, well, you know, if you sin, you're safe. You're protected because you're in Christ Jesus. God can't get you. God can't harm you. Now, that's what the blood is for because you're going to sin. Sure, you're just going to go ahead and sin and you might as well just go ahead and enjoy it and then do it and then every day just ask God to forgive you because that's what the blood is for. The blood is to release you of that desire to sin. The token life comes back in you and annihilates that sinful nature and you're never the same again. Now you're gonna make mistakes, that's right, but you ain't gonna do it from a serpent nature inside of your soul. But you see, these types of preachers and teachers are preaching to people who still have the snake in their heart. So the serpent is still treading in their soul and they are smoothing it down and convincing them they can sin safely. You're okay. You're all right. That's why it doesn't matter what you look like, how long hair, oh, who ever heard of long hair in the Bible? Anybody that's read it very much as. 
Why, who ever heard of what difference does it make if a woman wears pants or, or a pantsuit or whatever? I think it's very fitting for a lot of these women. Our, our supposed uh, vice president I think it's pretty fitting for her to have on a pantsuit. Uh-huh, come on now, saints. It's pretty fitting because she's a dominating female. Well, glory to God. Same way with Hillary. Y'all ever seen Hillary in a dress? It'd be like putting a dress on a hog. It'd be about the same way with some of these women wearing a pantsuit. They probably don't even own a dress because you know what? They've got that man thing on them, that perverted thing. They're spiritual perverts. That's right. Oh, hallelujah. Brother Donnie, you're going to get in trouble. What's new about that? Come on, tell me something I don't know. But what is it? They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, convincing people you can sin safely. And God will protect you. He understands. You, you can't keep from it. I agree. I agree totally. For people who aren't born again, they can't keep from sinning. Whew. Is it just me or is it getting warm in here? Whew. I'm sweating plumb down to my socks. Man. Notice this, verse 8. Jude says, likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. So they hate men of God that are called to be set in the position that God calls them to be, to have over the body. So what do they do? They despise them. I wonder how many message folks will fit into this verse in the book of Jude. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Those that are called by God and sent by God to lead the sheep and they despise their position and their rank and say you don't need a pastor. Praise the Lord. Verse 11, he says, woe unto them. Woe unto them. They have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? A selfish life filled with hatred and murder. In the way of Cain ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Like Balaam trying to make a gain of godliness and perished. Don't you notice how Jude wrote this, Brother West? He writes it in such a way as if though these people, now this ain't even come to pass yet fully, but he writes it as if though they have already perished. He writes and takes the form of the word and uses it in the past tense. They're done annihilated. Because Jude knows once they get to this, there's no place to get back. Perish, not will perish, but perished in the gainsaying of Korah who thrust himself into the priesthood. They intervene into the righteous, holy offices of God, which should not be entered into without a divine call. How many businessmen around the message churches get up and accept the office of pastorship? Ain't a bit more a pastor than a groundhog in a hole. They're a businessman, and yet they control the church, and they run the church and tell the, come on now, don't get quiet on me. Why, that's what's projected from headquarters. 
Well, come on, saints, don't get quiet. If it was projected apostolic, it would be what? Trying to encourage every man of God not to sit down on Sunday morning and play a tape, but to preach the word. Preach the word. That's what Brother Branham did. Why? Because he said what Paul said. Well, hallelujah. And somebody that don't say that is a liar and they're not saying what Paul said. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Notice in verse 12 how he identifies these people. These are spots in your feast of charity. Notice where they were. They were not Romans. They were not pagan Romans that were out there trying to kill the Christians, but they were actually among the message people in the first century. They are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. So they were actually coming in. Now, I've told you before that the rich people that had large houses, they would actually have church in their houses. And then after the service was over, they would have a big meal because many Christians were poor people. So they would have their servants out there in the kitchens and they'd prepare their meal. So they would have what they call love feast or charity feast. And they would come and they would meet together one day out of the week and they would gather together and they'd hear the preaching of the word and testimonies and songs and worship. And then after the service was done, they'd make a day out of it. Basically, all the saints would stay together and eat. And your Jews, as they're coming together with you, they're sitting there feeding on the word and they're saying, Amen. And then they go out there and eat whatever more that you've got out there. And they're sitting right there with you, acting like they believe every word that's being preached. Oh my, notice how he says they do. Feeding themselves without fear. My God. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth. Without fruit. Twice dead. Notice twice dead. Born dead in humanity. Now their soul has crossed eternal separation. Twice dead. Oh my goodness, friends. How you ought to thank God today for his truth and his grace to us. But Brother Donnie, I'm not perfect. I'm not blameless and I make mistakes. But the Spirit of God deals with me. You ought to be shouting all over this whole building tonight. The Spirit of God's dealing with you. You ought to be so grateful that he is. Amen. Because people that are twice dead are beyond redemption. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea. Foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Remember when Brother Branham went there as a boy? He said a burning hell would have been a pleasure. Can you imagine? He was falling and falling and falling in the smoke and in the darkness. And these beings were coming out, ooh, ooh, haunting him. Can you imagine an individual saying that burning flames would have been a pleasure? Can you imagine every person that goes out that sat here in our assembly that have become these apostates? Every sermon they heard me preach, 
Every sermon they had Brother Darrell preach, every quote they ever quoted, you imagine as they're there for thousands of years or however long, this will be the amplified part of their torment. This same man they're now calling a false prophet. It's like they will hear his voice over and over in hell. In hell, part of their torment. They will recall sitting in Happy Valley Church, clapping their hands, singing, worshiping, seeing themselves worship. Don't you remember the rich man in Luke when Jesus gave the parable and he showed part of his torment with his human memory, his human memory of life, his human memory of what he could have done. Do you think it's just gonna be, oh, oh I wish I hadn't drunk, oh, I wish I hadn't done this. Part of their torment will be every tape they've ever heard. Part of their torment, whatever man of God, every altar call that was made and they sat there and held on to the back of the pew and refused it and the spirit of God dealt with their heart, they will hear me preach through the ages. Oh God. But for those of you who take what I preach, what Brother Brandon preached, what Brother Darrell, Brother Wes, these other brothers here preach, in eternity, you won't hear me preaching every day. I won't preach no more. Y'all happy about that? Huh? Me too. Me too. Eternal retirement. Praise be to God. But can you imagine them people in the other realm? They are hearing me over and over again. How many of them I sit right there in that office and warn them, don't do this, don't do it. I beg you in the name of Jesus, don't go that way, don't do it. Oh, Brother Donnie, I ain't going to, I ain't going to. Me sit right there knowing my heart to fix it too. And walk out the door and Carol said, do you think they believed you? I said, no, they didn't believe me. And you just remember from this day on, they'll go down. Oh, Lord God, children. Don't you see how much he loves us to give us grace and correct us when we're wrong and give us a spirit and say, Lord God, I want to be right. Lord God, I want to be right. Don't let me go in my ways, God. Don't let me turn the grace of God, the precious grace of God into lasciviousness and it become a license for people to sin and they can actually sin and feel safe in doing so because I preached false doctrine to them and convinced them thus. Lord God. Let's let's read this and we'll close. Verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. May God help us. We'll have one thing in our hearts, the Lord Jesus in his word. Stand with me and let me read this to you again. In 2 Timothy 3, 1, when Paul says this, this know also in the last days perilous times shall come. We'll pick it up again, Lord willing, next week. But the word translated... Perilous means violent, fierce, wild, difficult, grievous, hard to bear, distressing. Now believe it or not, it's the exact same word 
that's used in Matthew 8, 28, when it describes the maniac of Gadara. So it's describing this maniac. It's the same word, perilous. Describing this man that was so demon-possessed that he would cut himself. So look what Paul is saying in the last days. That people will believe doctrines of demons so much, it will become in the last days a demonic graveyard. So people will run around in these doctrines of devils and you try to talk to them, don't, don't go that way, don't go that way. And they just smile at you and go right on and do what they're going to do. Just as in Gadara, friends, we are rubbing shoulders with demon-possessed people as it was in the time of the maniac from Gadara. Oh, God, help us. How much longer, Lord? How much longer we got to live here in these tombs? Now, let's just say that they prove there was not enough tampering with the vote and all of that to change the election. And Mr. Biden and Miss Harris get voted in. And they get inaugurated and all this and that and the other. What's going to happen to all the hatred that's been shown for the conservatives and for Trump and his people? wonder where all that hatred is going to go to. Because you know it ain't, they're going to express it toward Biden. We've done seen that. They're not going to express it toward the left. AOC can do whatever she wants to do and whatever say. And everybody just thinks it's A-OK with AOC. But it ain't okay with me. I don't care if it is AOC. Praise the Lord. So where's that hatred going to go, you reckon? Don't you understand that something has happened in the last few years that people have been able through the, through the media, through Facebook, through all these different things, express hatred and express such things. Where is all this coming from? The demons that was in Gadara are here. The violent protests that we're sending and burning businesses and all that. What is it? Spirit of the last days. You imagine how the people in the days of Jesus must have become so overwhelmed that Jesus would speak and in Nazareth they would pick up rocks to stone him and they're looking over there and that's the quietest man you've ever seen in your life. His temperament is so mild and meek and all of a sudden he's standing over the rock in his hand. And over her old sister so-and-so. Why, she ain't never been violent a day in her life. But all of a sudden, they're getting so violent. They're getting so angry. They're calling names. They're just saying all this terrible, terrible stuff. What is it? They were getting under the spirit of their last days. But what did Jesus tell his followers? Pray for them that despitefully use you. When they cast your name out as evil, rejoice. Why? He didn't want his followers to get under that spirit. Whichever spirit you get under, it's going to crown you. You get under hatred. Oh, they hurt my feelings. Well, the Bible tells us what to do. Pray for them. Turn the other cheek. Oh, it's easier for you to say, you don't have a clue, do you? You do not have a clue what I go through. No, you don't. 
The deacons don't. The trustees don't. My wife don't. If God did not help me, I would be the most violent man you've ever met in your life. I would have so much hatred in me tonight, it would spill out of me. But it can't. I've got the Holy Ghost. When message preachers will lie on you, when message preachers that you all listen to have lied on me and said things against me, oh, I could tell you, I could call names, and what good was that do? Then I'd lower myself to their level. But I refuse to hate. I know not one individual in this world that I hate. Not one that I want to say go to hell. Well, praise the Lord. Why? I want to be like Jesus. Now, a lot of our preachers want to be like Jesus and healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out devils and sin visions. That's, that's fine. That's well and good too. But I want to turn the other cheek like Jesus. I want to pray for them that despitefully use me like Jesus. Anybody in here want to be like Jesus? Well, this is part of the spirit of the last days. What is it? Satan's personifying himself so much in his church. Hell is embodying itself as it presses its gates into humanity. And when all hell turns loose, all heaven comes down. Praise God. So which spirit are you finding yourself yielding to? Getting even with so-and-so. They run me down. I'll tell you one thing. I'll get them back if it's the last thing I do. That's not the spirit of God, friends. Love does not keep a record. It does not keep a record. I'll get them back. You need to repent of that. That is not the spirit of God. Forgive them. Oh, they haven't asked me. Oh, really? So where did the Roman soldiers ask the Lord Jesus to forgive him for crucifying him? Answer me. They did not. But from his person, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Come on, Happy Valley Church. How many wants to walk this walk, carry this cross, be like Jesus this way? Amen. Don't you love him with all your heart? Oh, my. This is the spirit that is expecting his bride to become in so much that his own life will be manifested among her and his word will be made flesh in her when her very flesh is going to become the word. Think of it. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There's another promise that's got to connect with John 1.14. When the word is becoming flesh and flesh is becoming word. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the resurrection and the rapture. To where our flesh one day will become spoken word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But you see, what precedes that, the word must be made flesh in us. In the work of incarnation that started 2,000 years ago. Don't think it stopped with Mary. She was the beginning. We're the culmination of that great immaculate thing. 
And when it becomes, the word becomes flesh and a bride around the world. And the fullness of the Godhead body is represented in the bride. And the moment of the, oh, glory to God. In the moment the consummation of it reaches and the trump of God sounds, our flesh will change. You may be standing there combing your hair, brushing your teeth. And our flesh will change and become the word. Don't tell me you're not familiar with that quote in Invisible Union. When flesh is becoming the word. Don't you understand? This is what it is in you crying. You're crying for perfection and you're living an imperfect body. This is what you're crying for. When your flesh will become the word. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord God, I pray you would help us tonight. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Lord, if there's anything tonight that we're holding on to that's wrong. Lord, if there's anything, any error in our walk, and our belief system, and our doctrine, correct us by your word, Lord. But Father, if there's error in our spirit, error in our attitude, we want that taken away just like false doctrine. Lord, we don't want to blame our Ishmael and say, well, God made me this way. Oh, how we have to watch that thing. This is the agenda that many of the homosexuals say. Well, God made me this way. So how can God judge me if he made me this way? Father, we do not want to take our weaknesses of our flesh and our old carnal thing that we inherited from our families and say, well, God made me this way. Well, if God is perfectly happy and accepted with the way we are, with our tempers and this and that and the other, then preachers are wasting their time preaching against it. If you made us the way we are and you want to leave us with our tempers and our upsetness and this and that, then why in the world are you making me and the rest of these preachers preach against it? Help us to understand, Lord, much of what we are It's not what you made us. Your prophet told us we become the nature of one behind us. I inherited Reagan traits. I inherited Shoke traits. I inherited Guffy traits way behind me. Many of them things are not made by you. They are ungodly. They are unruly. And it takes the preaching of the word and me applying it to my life to help bring that old thing subject or I can hide behind the excuse, well, God made me this way. Lord God, you never made me to be mean. You never made me to be ill-tempered. You never made me, oh God, to be anything contrary to your word. So where does it come from? My mama, my daddy, my uncles, my grandparents. Oh Jesus, help us to be changed, Lord. Give us a desire, Father. Amen. How many in this place would raise your hand to God tonight and say, Lord, make me like you, Father. Remember, friends, we're not talking about perfecting our human flesh, but we're talking about making it subject. That part about your human makeup that is wrong, don't you think for one minute that Almighty God made you that way and is going to leave you that way? How could God make you 
with a temper strong enough to fight a buzzsaw and then convict you for displaying what he made you to have. How could God make you men to be full of lust and then you lust after women and then God convict you for lusting? Come on, somebody wake up. Let's face the facts. God never made much of what we are the way we are. We inherited it out of the grab bag of humanity. But Satan will do his best to try to convince you you're Ishmael. That's what many of you are still thinking. This is why you hide behind, well, God made me this way. I don't have to change. This is the way I am. God made me loud mouth. God made me. Don't you blame that stuff on God. Well, praise the Lord. God wants us to change, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Praise be to God. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me.
Oh, see how great, how great. 
Amen. Certainly appreciate the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing this tonight as you're dismissed. I just want to be ready. I just want to be ready. Amen. Let's sing that as you go tonight. Go in the fear of the Lord. Remember the service coming up Sunday. Amen. Be in prayer for it. Well, I want to be ready.